thinking as I was preparing what a beautiful thing it is for us to come together, even if it is only for a couple hours a week, coming together to, to remember our focus, to remember our purpose, to remember our mission in life. I think with the busyness of, of our schedules and the, the stress of our work or school, we can get distracted or we can miss our focus, our purpose, and our mission in life. So I just thought when I was preparing, I was like, what a beautiful thing it is to come together and remember those things. Because without those things, we start to really question like who we are or what are we doing. So what a beautiful thing it is to come together. And I want to ask that as we get into the word, as I always ask, have grace on this. I'm an imperfect person, so I want to ask that you have grace on this message. But also, let us take in what the Lord gives us so we can receive, be transformed, and ultimately redeem the world through the gospel of Jesus Christ. What are some things that motivate us? What's some things that motivate you? Food, wow, okay. I was thinking money, I don't know. That was like the first thing that I thought of. I'm such a sinner for saying that. But it's the truth, right? What are some things that motivate us? If, if we can change that a little bit, what are some things that you definitely would stand up for? Apes, what do you think? Sophie, I like, Oh, that's cute. I would stand up for my daughter. That's beautiful. Whatever you guys thought, whatever were your initial answers, we can call these things the non-negotiables of our life, right? The non-negotiables of our life. In the church, we've made a big deal about this, especially in the 90s where I was not born until the later part. But as you study, right, you can see that church, churches have trends. And in the 90s, there was this big church push for purity culture. And one of those things, one of having, you know, this idea of purity culture was this idea concerning dating in the church. And I think we still do it. It kind of has some ripple effects till today uh, for those that are not dating or for those um, that are still looking. If you're looking, you shouldn't look, right? But anyways, that's a, a topic for another time. Um, we have these lists. I don't know if you guys have made them, but we have these like lists of what this perfect person is. Um, my man has to have this. And if he doesn't, I don't want it. Right. That, that's kind of like the idea behind it. The same thing with women. We have this this list. And if women don't have this thing, then I don't want it. And I, I simply draw up this example uh, to show all of us that we have these non-negotiables in our life. If they don't have this, I don't want it. Better yet, I think, I think, I think what we can say is there are certain things that we are firm in. There are certain things that if someone comes up to us and we're firm on, nothing will change that. Nothing. Non-negotiables of life. Last week, we started the book of Galatians. We started in chapter 1, and we went verses 1 to 5. We got into the context of the churches Paul was writing to, concerning certain problems that were arising amongst the brethren of the congregation. And this week, we're going to continue reading 
and seeing the non-negotiables that Paul is writing to the churches. Paul was teaching them about. So I want to invite you to open up your Bibles. If you don't have one, download it. It takes five seconds on your phone. I remember meeting someone that said, I deleted the Bible app because I needed space for my game. So if that's you, delete the game now and then, and then <laughs> download the Bible app right now. I was like, where's our priorities at? I'm like, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, not about that. That was real, but Pastor Tony. <laughs> and I want us to have that in question. What are the non-negotiables in our life? What are yours? This is an important question because it is these things that we stand on that make us the people we are today. Galatians chapter 1. Now I got to find it. I didn't delete it, I promise. Verse 6. We left off on verse 6. This is what the word of the Lord says. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ, Christ and turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than, than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were trying, if I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. This is, this is what is going on. This is the word of the Lord. Something very important is happening, and I don't know if you guys caught it right away. But something is very, very important is happening here. Paul is trying to defend the gospel. Or not trying, he is defending the gospel. You see, as we saw last week, he is very, very eager to get the message he received from God. The right message out to the churches of Galatia. He says it once in verse 1. He says, Paul, an apostle, sent not from man, nor by a man. And he does it again here in verse 10. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. We see that he's trying to protect the gospel from something that they're turning into that is not the gospel. And what is that? What we've seen in the past as we gave context, and I want to kind of briefly go into that a little bit is what they're doing, the people of the church, they're turning the gospel into something that's not really the gospel. What they're doing is turning this gospel into something that is convenient to themselves. What they're doing is saying, hey, because I am a Jew and I've had this long lineage of practices that I've done in the past, now that we have Christ, what we'll do is say, Christ is cool. We're going to do that, but we're going to also add what we've done in the past. 
We're going to add law, and we're going to add Christ. Some people have um, commented or called this the, the Jesus plus something else gospel, um, and that's kind of what's going on here. But something a little deeper is happening as well. The Jewish people are, in a way, saying, in order to be actual, real, authentic Christian followers, and this is important for us to hear, to be real, authentic Christian followers, you must become like a Jew. You must become a Jew, in a sense. And this is big because what Paul is saying is you're wrong. He's telling the people something completely radical or completely against what the Galatians are saying. He's saying that's not at all true. And as I was studying, it was, it was pretty cool because Paul was sent if you can say, he was sent, he was chosen by God to do a very simple task, to go, right, simple, to go and preach the message to the Gentiles, non-Jewish people, right? That's what Paul's task was. And Peter's, which is later on mentioned, Cephas, was called to the Jewish people. And so Paul is over here trying to minister to the people that aren't Jewish, right? Just like you and I, just Gentiles. And, and Peter is trying to minister to those that, that are Jewish, right? And this is important because Paul, what he's telling Paul, Paul is telling to the church in Galatia is that you guys are mixing it up. What you're doing is you're converting, you're making this gospel into you only can be a Jew and receive it as a Jew if you want to serve Christ. Instead of saying the gospel is for all humanity, it is for all people. You see the distinction? Do you see how, how those two are completely separate? And so what Paul is doing here is he's correcting what is wrong. He is completely shocked. In verse 6, he says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting to the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ. Later on in chapter 3, which we'll get to, in chapter 3, he says, you foolish Galatians. He's calling them dumb. He's saying, how in the world can you turn away from something that has been given to you? He's teaching them grace, yet they're going back to rule. He's teaching them love from the Father just because he loves them. And the others are preaching a gospel that in a way you need to work. I was thinking about a movie. I don't know if you've watched it. And it's kind of a trash analogy, but I'm going to say it anyways because I wrote it down. It's called The Founder. Have you guys watched that movie? The Founder? The one about McDonald's, the company? No? Have you guys heard of McDonald's? Yeah? Mike's definitely heard of it. Okay, cool. I love that. <laughs> so this, this movie is basically talking about the origins of McDonald's, and it's talking about how in the beginning they had like a very simple, I think it was like a cheeseburger or something like that. 
And this guy, he was like, let's franchise. Let's, let's make it all over the United States, right? And basically, is, it's what we know today as McDonald's. But in the beginning, it, it was very interesting to me because um, as he was going around and as he was um, trying to get these new McDonald's up everywhere, um, what he found was the one two hours south from him uh, started deviating from what McDonald's was actually supposed to be. So instead of selling these cheeseburgers, instead of selling fries, they were selling like KFC. They were selling like crispy chicken and, and like something like else that's not McDonald's. And I just thought that was funny because I feel like Paul is saying to them the same thing. He's like, you guys are foolish. Like you guys are so like, no, don't do that. You're selling crispy chicken when you're supposed to be selling hamburgers, right? And I think it's like the same thing here. He's telling them, you guys don't or are not preaching the actual gospel, but instead another gospel that is completely different to the one I gave you. Not only that, but he's also preserving, or not preserving, I think the, the right word is he's given receipts. You guys know what that means? He's given receipts. When you hear that, what do you, what do you think? I'm not talking about like a food max receipt. I'm talking about facts, all right? Thank you, April. He's given receipts. Paul, what he's doing, he's giving facts in defending not only the gospel, but his apostleship. He is telling those that he is writing to that this revelation he has received is not from man, no, but it is in fact from the one who died, resurrected, and now lives forever. The one that appeared to him on the road to Damascus. If you guys want to check that out later, Acts chapter 9. Really good story. You guys should read it. Acts chapter 9, verse 1 to 19. He tells them to emphasize this point. It's not Jesus plus everything we've been doing as Jews, which is following the food laws, circumcision, all those things, to the T, and, it, and expecting that these things, if we follow these things to the T, we will lead a rich, good, fulfilled life. What he's telling them, that the real gospel, the actual meaning of what he's preaching or what has been given to them, what it means, it means that the gospel spells freedom in the spirit for all those who call upon Jesus Christ. This is what the true gospel is. And they were not preaching that. And I stand before you talking about this message. <laughs> I'm, I'm saying this, and I was like, what, like what's, what's the purpose, right? Like, what, what's, the, what's the actual motive of, of why I'm standing here and, and talking to you guys, right? And I came up with this one thing, um, and I really believe that this is what, what the Holy Spirit has been leading me all week to say. That this message is to avoid, to stand clear of walking away. Hear that. Walking away from the non-negotiables of our life. Which is preserving the integrity of the gospel. If we are not careful, 
If we are not careful, the integrity of the gospel could be in danger. While this should be an essential part of our life, and I think this is a, something that hurts our ego, or at least hurts me, while this should be an essential part of our life, the chase of money, the chase of contentment, of fame, or my favorite, which I've fallen into and I believe you have too, is the indifference of it all that has made us distracted with the real purpose, focus, and overall mission of our life. We've been so focused on what we want that we've converted a gospel that is exclusive to everyone, not just who we like. I'm going to say that one more time because I think I messed up. <laughs> we've been so focused on what we want that we've converted a gospel that is not inclusive to everyone. That is not inclusive to everyone. Only to the ones that we like. There you go. That sounded a little better. In a way, we have fallen into a similar trap like the Galatians. We have fell into the trap of monopolizing the gospel. And maybe we're doing this subconsciously or maybe on purpose. But we exclude those that we believe won't fit within our mold of the Christian bubble. We must relearn what the gospel is and isn't and really understand that we might have some misunderstandings of the gospel ourselves. Kids are very mean. Have you guys experienced that? I'm looking at the teachers. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Mike, Mike, Mike told me a story uh, last week that there is like the first day of, of, of the week, they're already fighting each other. And it's like, dude, you know, kids, kids are mean. And I've seen it pers personally with, with the school that I, I'm subbing at. Man, there is one kid, he's literally minding his own business. Like, just trying to have a good time, you know, playing basketball. He's like in first grade. And I saw some kids, like they were on purpose excluding him to not play with him. And there was this one kid in line that was like, you're not going to be my friend and I'm going to tell the principal on you. I was like, dude, like it's really not that serious. Like, you don't have to do that. And I saw bullying with my own eyes. And then I told him, I was like, hey, that's not nice. Like, we're here to be nice. Like, we're here to, you know, like, learn, but also have fun with our friends. And he was, like, looking at me like, I'm not listening to this guy. But afterwards, I saw him go back to the same kid, and he was like, I'm still telling the principal. And I'm like, my goodness. Like, why are they so mean? And I've actually been a victim of bullying myself by these kids. Oh, my goodness. There was a couple weeks ago, not the Mr. Mexico one, but... Um, the other one where there was, there was this uh, group of girls that they were not acting correctly. Um, they were being very, very loud. And I told them, I gave them an option. I said three times. I said, I think that was a little bit too much, but I, I go by that rule, the three-strike rule. Um, and I'm like, hey, keep it down. All right, you guys are distracting the class. And they're like, okay, whatever. I would, came again. Hey, keep it down. Like, you guys are being way too loud. And then they were like, yeah, whatever. The last time, I was like, okay, you guys got to move. They're like, no, we're not moving. They literally looked me in the eye. And they said, I'm not moving. And I'm like, oh, yes, you are. Like, you, you are going to move, you know? And as they moved, 
that's when the bullying started, right? And they moved, and they, they told me. They were like, they were like you're married? And I was like, yeah, because I had my ring. And they're like, ew, like, who would want to marry you? <laughs> that, that was, and at, at that point, I was like, you know what, I could say a bunch of things right now, but I'm not going <laughs> to, I was like, you're lucky I'm Christian. No, I'm just kidding. No. And then the, that was a crazy thing. Like, a lot of the kids at that school, they're, they're Christian, right? They're, they go to church and stuff. And I know this because I had a bracelet that says, God is love. And they were like, what does your bracelet say? And I was like, oh, God is love. And they are like, you're Christian? They are like, cool, cool. After they bullied me, <laughs> they were like, oh, yeah, that's cool. And they're like, yeah, we're Christian too. We go to church. And I was like, really? <laughs> I was like, I need to talk to your youth pastor because that's not nice. Kids can be mean, but so can we. And my point of that funny story, yet hurtful to me, is that we can, too, exclude certain people that do not fit within the mold of the Christian life. Let me say it like this. We exclude people, maybe subconsciously, if they haven't taken the correct path. Quote-unquote. If they haven't gone to school, if they haven't graduated with a, a degree, of course, if they haven't attended every meeting at church, if they haven't done those things, they're not actually Christian. We don't say that out loud, but we do think it. Pastor Tony, as we were uh, preparing this, he was telling us a story as well. He was telling this man, and I don't know how the conversation went, but Pastor Tony came up with a statistic and told this man, uh, they were talking about uh, voting, and he said 95% of African Americans vote Democrat. And the man responded, oh, I know why. It's because they weren't actually Christian. And you say to yourself, what ignorance, right? What ignorance, how can you say that? Just because they vote a certain political party, they're not a part of our tribe. They're not a part of this Christian circle that we have, right? But we do the same thing. If they don't fit a certain mold that we have in our minds, they don't fit within our bubble. They don't fit within our structure. And I believe that this is a symptom when we don't preserve the integrity of the gospel. Instead, what we're doing, what we're suggesting here, and I think Paul in his letter to the Galatians is saying, is to have a more robust view of the gospel, a fuller view of the gospel. Do not limit it to reading, praying, and going to church, although those things are good, but instead a more robust view of the gospel is to participate on mission, to participate on mission with the Lord. And when this is done, we are planted when we have our non-negotiables in Christ and not in man-made rules. That is when we are able to participate with the Lord. 
when it's no longer about they look like this, they've done this in the past, they think this way, therefore they cannot be a part of my tribe. When we stop thinking like this, that is when we can start participating on the mission, in the mission of God. This is one of my favorite examples. I took it out of a commentary that I was reading. It's kind of long, so I hope that we can all stick to it, but I think it's really good, and I think it can really benefit all of us as we close out today. Here, here's the example. Because of a hectic schedule as a result of a busy, a busy family, one finds it impossible to read the Bible in the morning or evening or both. And as a result, one feels unloved by God, distant from him, or in need of forgiveness. Have you guys ever felt like that? Because you haven't read or, uh, my favorite, you haven't spent your five minutes or ten minutes with God, or you did something bad, 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 you are not loved by God. Have you ever felt like that at a moment? That is when one has distorted the gospel. We are loved by God in Christ. We have been bought, brought near to God in Christ, and we have been forgiven in Christ. Bible reading does not make us relationally closer to God. However important, however important the discipline of Bible reading may be, that discipline does not make us, hear this, acceptable by God. We have compromised Christ and sacrificed the power of the Spirit on the altar of a discipline if we think we cannot live spiritually without reading the Bible every day. Other such laws easily develops in Christian circles when in turn we create an unhealthy and weak view of the gospel. All that to say, we have created or distorted the gospel as the Galatians have. And I know I just read verses um, 6 to 10. In verses 11, to keep going, he's basically defending his apostleship against the people. And he's telling them, no, no, no. You guys think that it's only, it's only through Jerusalem. It's only by being a Jew that we can come to know Christ. But I'm telling you, that's not how it is. And I think that's what he's telling us today. I think if we're not careful, we might be in danger. And listen to this, because it's important for you. We might be in danger of distorting the gospel into something that it is not. It is not. Do not mishear me as well. There, you know, rules are good, and having certain standards for our life is good, right? Certain things is, is good. But when we make those things the gospel, that's when we begin to distort it. Legalism was not wrong because laws are somehow wrong, but because legalism supplanted Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. We need God's grace to discern when Christ has been minimized or decentralized and when the important role the Spirit has in our Christian life has been eliminated. And this I will end um, today. Living out our faith in the real world and having a desire to better understand the practice 
of what it means to live with mission in the normal routines of our daily life is part of what makes up for the robust view of the gospel. Being missional describes a church that sees God's mission as the organizing principle that defines, shapes, and sends the church to participate in what God is already doing in the world. Let us not fall into the trap of viewing the gospel as a means for us to get what we want, but instead let the true gospel Paul is running towards, not in vain, but in purpose, be the means of our true mission, be the means of our daily mission with the Lord. This verse has been stuck in my mind for the last four years, and I hope I can, I can instill it in you so it sticks Sticks wherever you might go. Luke chapter 10, verse 27. He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. May you hold that with you dearly and may you pursue the gospel, the true gospel with everything that you have. At this time, I wasn't going to do that, but I wasn't going to do it, but um, I think it just feels, feels good. Not that, you know, we're guided by feelings or anything like that. Um, but I really want to um, take the Lord's Supper with all of you. I don't know if we have um, some. Pastor Tony, do we have some? But as we start, I'll uh, invite us to the table, and hopefully Pastor Tony can, can add some on uh, the little cups and stuff. I want to invite us to the table of the Lord. This is the table, not of the church, but of the Lord. It is to be made ready for those who love him and who want to love him more. So come, if you have much faith and if you have little faith, and if you have been here often and if you've been here not for a long time, if you have tried to follow and you have failed, come, not because it is I who invite you, but the Lord. It is his will that those who want him should meet him here. And as we wait for Pastor Tony, I would like to lead us into a prayer. Why don't you bow your heads and pray with me? Let us pray. Gratitude, praise, hearts lifted high, voices full of joy, full and joyful, these you deserve. For when we were nothing, you made us something. When we had no name, no faith, no future, you called us your children. When we lost our way or turned away, you did not abandon us. When we came back to you, your arms opened wide and welcome. And look, you prepare a table for us, offering not just bread, not just wine, but your very self, so that we may be filled, forgiven, healed, blessed, and made new again. You are worth all our pain and all our praise. So now in gratitude, we join our voices to those of the church on earth and in heaven. On the night on which, on which Jesus was betrayed, he sat at supper with his disciples. While they were eating, he took a piece of bread, 
set a blessing, broke it, and gave it to them with the words, this is my body, it is for you. Do this, do this to remember me. Later, he took a cup of wine saying, this cup is God's new covenant, sealed with my blood. Drink from it, all you, to remember me. So now, following Jesus' example and command, we take this bread and this wine, the ordinary things of this world, which Christ will make special. And he said a prayer before sharing it. Let us do so now. Lord God, as we come to share the richness of your table, we cannot forget the rawness of the earth. We cannot take this bread and forget those who are hungry. Your world is one world, and we are stewards of its nourishment. Lord, put our prosperity at the service of the poor. We cannot take wine and forget those who are thirsty. The ground and the rootless, the, the earth and its weary people cry out for justice. Lord, put our fullness at the service of the empty. We cannot hear your words of peace and forget the world at war. Or, if not at war, then preparing for it. Show us quickly, Lord, how to turn weapons into welcome signs, the lust for power into a desire for peace. We cannot celebrate the feast of your family and forget our divisions. We are one in spirit, but not in fact. History and hurt still dismember us. Lord, heal our church in every brokenness. Amen. Let us take the bread. Among friends gathered around the table, Jesus took bread, broke it, and said, This is my body. It is for you. Let us eat of the bread. Taking the cup, he said, and later he took the cup of wine and said, This is a new relationship with God made possible because of my death. Take this, all you, to remember me. Let us take of the cup. Look, here it is, your Lord coming to you in bread and wine. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. Christ, who has nourished us, is our peace, strangers and friends, male and female, old and young. He has broken down the barriers to bind us to him and to each other. Having tasted his goodness, let us share his peace. The peace of the Lord be always with you. And with that, I will end us off with the benediction. O God, our King, by the resurrection of your Son, Jesus Christ, on the first day of the week, you conquered sin, put death to flight, and gave us the hope of everlasting life. Redeem all our days by this victory. Forgive our sins, banish our fears. Make us bold to praise you and to do your will, and steal us to wait for the consummation of your kingdom on the last great day, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us evermore. We are dismissed. Thank you, guys.